Good morning. I know that you're all frightened by the fact that you see three pastors and we're all going to speak. Um, we promise not to hold you here for 90 minutes. We did pretty well in the first service, but there is a limit on the backside of the first service. This one has a little bit more freedom, so we might be here a little longer, but not really. Not really, not really. You say that now. All right. Really quickly, I've been charged with kind of describing what we're doing here. Um, Pastor was not feeling well this week, and so he had asked uh, Sean to put something together just in case he couldn't go. He's been coughing and different things like that. So we came up with this format to have three of us speak. And so um, we met and put this together, and so hopefully it will be an honoring thing to the Lord, and he will um, be glorified by it. Hopefully you'll be glorified too at the same point. Um, one of the things I was asked to do is describe what Mission Possible is. Does anybody know what Mission Possible is? Raise a hand. Okay. So there's some people in the room that don't know what that is, and I would say you've probably been coming for a while, and you're curious about it. So um, I'm just going to describe what that is a little bit. It's a stewardship campaign, and the funds for that stewardship campaign are trying to pay off our mortgage with that, and also we do the upkeep on the building. So we've replaced a roof, and we've done some things with the money that was committed. This commitment started on June 8th. We're going to do a celebration Sunday, and that'll, that'll mark a two-year anniversary where we celebrate God's goodness through the giving of his people to Valley Bible Church. So that, but it's what Deborah talked about a little bit earlier about that service being a one, one, uh, one service for both services. So anyway, that's what's going to happen there. But what happens is we've decided that on those celebration Sundays, maybe you're here and you've joined the church. You weren't there when we first started that, that mission. And so we do these celebration Sundays to give you an opportunity to join with us. So if you wanted to join with us, we would ask you to pray about that. And this is to give beyond what your, we call a general fund. We're kind of trying to change that into what we would call the general ministry fund. Because out of the general fund is where most of the ministry takes place. And so we're, we're headed that way. But Mission Possible is a, another program that's above and beyond your regular ministry giving. Okay? So why did we call it Mission Possible? Because um, if you look around the room, which is what I had them do first, I said, just look around you and realize that the people in this room, along with those that are in first service, and there's less of them in first service than there is in the second. When we started this two years ago and different campaigns that we've started, when you look at it as a man, as a mortal looking at it, we say this group of people in a three-year period is going to give basically around $10 million. Okay. I know, it's almost laughable. But it almost seems impossible to men. That doesn't seem possible. So we went to Luke 18, 27, where it says this. Let's read it together. This is how we came up with a name for this. I know you all think we were watching Mission Impossible, and we jumped into that. But no, we came up with it off this passage. The things that are impossible with people. When you look around the room, you go, that's not possible. Are possible with God. Huh? They're possible with God. So if I was just looking at you and didn't have God in the equation, I'd say it is impossible. But when God's in the equation, all things are possible. So we said, you know what? Mission possible. 
That's the right title for this. It's possible because of who's on our side and who's leading us. And it's not the pastors. It's God that leads us. All right. So there's my definition of what Mission Possible is. It's you committing to give funds above and beyond your general, again, I like ministry budget better, okay? So it's above and beyond ministry budget, okay? All right, so let me get started. What's going to happen here is I'm going to try and do one point here, and then Sean's going to come up and do a second point, and Gabe's going to, he's our cleanup hitter. He's going to do the, the cleanup hitting. So let me ask a rhetorical question. Um, a rhetorical question means you don't answer aloud. I, I wanted to use that definition because I said that in the first service and everybody was answering. I, thought, I think they thought it meant it was a free-for-all. Um, but here's a, here it is. When you think about going to church, when you thought of last night, okay, we're going to church tomorrow, or this morning when you got up, you said, we're going to go to church. Our family's getting up. We're getting dressed. We're going to go. What is the one aspect in your mind that you thought, I'm looking forward to? There's one aspect of the service. I'm just looking so forward to it. Okay? Now, there's some things that you might thought of that aren't so noble. Like, I can't wait to go there and see what uh, Miss Jones is wearing today. That, that may not be the best thing for you to be looking forward to. I would hope they would be things like this. I can't wait to get there to see the saints. I want a fellowship with those around me. I came to worship the Lord. Great stuff. I can't wait to see what the choir is going to do, and we get to worship. We get to sing. We get to or maybe you thought, or maybe your deal is, I really come looking forward to hearing Pastor Howard speak the word of God. I'm sorry you get us instead this morning, but maybe you, maybe that's what you're doing. You, man, I really can't wait to get there. And I'm sure Pastor Howard wishes that that is the case. But how many of you last night or this morning went, man, wow, I can't wait to go to church and I can't wait for that offering. Yeah, see, that's the same reaction I got in the first service. Kind of a lot of laughter almost. But if we look at Scripture and we look at what it says, we should be lined up to give our offerings. We should be lined up. You should say, I cannot wait to go and give my first fruits to God, the one who's given me everything. I can't wait to go and give it back. Now, I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. And, I, and, and, and that way, that's not it. I, I'm, I'm going to use a passage. We're going to go to Luke chapter 6, verse 38. If you understand scriptures, this is exactly how you should be thinking. I can't wait to give in my, I cannot wait to give in the offering. It's part of worship for one. But listen to what he says here. Give. So you have something you have to do. Give. And it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a in let me see. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Hmm. I want to give in my offering. Now I want to give in the offering because I love the Lord, and that's what He asked me to do. Because He is the one that says it's an imperative. Give. He's saying give. It's not. Give if you feel like it. Do you see it say give if you feel like it? No, it just says give. And then what happens? God rarely asks you to do something that he doesn't attach a promise to it when you do it. That's 
a rare thing that he ever asks you to do something that he does not attach some kind of promise to it. And it will be given back to you. Now, we are not televangelists that are out here doing prosperity gospel stuff. We're not. I don't, I, but I do, I do believe that passage. I've lived that passage. I've seen it happen in my own life. I think there's stories all across the audience here of where you gave and God returned it tenfold. Amen? I'm sure everybody here that's given and has that habit of giving has watched God bless your lives. Now, what's interesting was, as I looked at this, I ran over to Ruth, chapter 3. You don't have to go there. I'll, I'll just read it to you. Verse 15, it says this. He said, give me the cloak that you're wearing. In that, in that day of the Old Testament and even the New Testament, they wore loose kind of clothing. And, and so Ruth was in the fields gleaning, and, and Boaz just said, you know what? I don't want anybody to even know you've been here, but I want my men are going to take care of things. We're going to take care of you. He says, take your cloak. Here's what he says. Give me the cloak that is on you and hold it out. So she held it out like this. All right. And he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. That's kind of the, that's the same thing that Luke is saying. If you give, God says, hold your cloak out now because I'm about to fill it up. Huh? Now, there's a fine line there. There's a very fine line there. If you're giving based on, oh, if I give, I'm going to get a bunch more. If that's your mindset, that's not a true heartfelt, I'm giving to the Lord, I'm not sure that you're going to get that. It's not an investment in the stock market. All right? But he does promise to give back, doesn't he? He does. So I wanted to make that statement, and this is what I think God wants to fill your lap to overflowing. I believe he wants to do that. One of the reasons we're speaking about this today is it's our responsibility as elders and pastors of this church to educate you so that when I stand, this is my own thing, I don't want to stand before God and have him say, why did my people miss out on all the blessings that I had with them? You know why? Because you didn't tell them about this. I don't want that to happen. I'm sure Phil doesn't want it to happen. These other men, we don't want that to happen. We want to tell you what God says about it. He speaks over 2,000 times, 2,000 verses on giving. I'm not ashamed to talk about giving. There's blessings in it. But listen, this general principle of this is simple. Generosity in giving, generosity in giving results in blessings from God. Generosity, not stinginess, not holding on tight, letting go. Generosity and giving will always lead to God's blessing. Let me close with this. Acts 20, 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Y'all heard that before? Most of you got it on a plaque in your house. More blessed to give than receive. Now, that's just logical, isn't it? If I'm able to give, then I must be blessed. That's just kind of that logical. Hey, that, that's, a, that's a no-brainer. And if I'm on the receiving end, I couldn't, so that's not as good. What you give away, what you give away always brings you a greater blessing than what you receive. It always brings you a greater blessing. Always. 
Sean, would you please? So Pastor Larry had the opportunity, thank you, Pastor, to open us up in what Mission Possible is. And I have the opportunity to say, how do you get started with Mission Possible? And this is where we'd like to ask you to start. First, we want to ask you a question. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to open the floodgates of heaven. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to open the floodgates of heaven. So I'm going to give you three ways to start. So you can start opening that floodgates. I'm going to give you two promises at the end of that. So the first one, we want to turn to 1 Corinthians 16, 1. <clears throat> Paul is talking about, he's um, talking with the Corinthians, and he's saying, just as I have told the Galatian churches, you should take the opportunity to set aside a portion of your earnings on the first day of the week. Now, a wise businessman, a wise farmer, wouldn't pay every man the day that they worked. During this time period, they would often pay him at the end of the day. The wise businessman would wait till the end of the week. The reason being is because if you got paid that day, I was in construction. Anybody out there in construction? One guy? Okay. The guys that got paid that day, what happened? They'd often go out to the bar that night, drink all night, and then not show up for work the next day. So a wise businessman wouldn't pay till the end of the week to make sure that his guys were coming in. Also, you know, guys that are traveling, if they had enough money, they'd up and leave. In order to keep the amount of men that he would need for the week, he would pay them at the end of the week. The other thing Paul is trying to say is as you're being paid at the end of this week, and you got that coin in your pocket, set aside a certain amount for that day, that first day of the week when you come to the, to the church and you give your offering. Decide in your mind what that portion of your earnings are. He says, according to your earnings, according to a proportion of what you've been receiving as your pay, set aside a certain portion of that. Now, some of you would say, I don't receive that much. I would say, give as God has blessed you. You could say, man, I don't make a whole lot. Okay, start right there. Just start right there. Start with the minimum. Just dive in and make that effort. You're saying, man, the Lord has really blessed my life. God says, give proportionately as you have received. Now, some people say, what, you're talking about a tithe? Yeah, we can talk about a tithe for a minute. That's legalistic. That's Old Testament law. We're not in the law anymore. Whoa, 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 slow down. Abraham was the first one to tithe. He's the one that gave the example. He was before the law. 400 years before the law, Abraham tithed. Abraham gave out of his wealth. So we're talking about before the law, and now here's Paul teaching us after the law. After the law has been fulfilled, he's saying, you know, grace outweighs the law. Grace gives more than the law. Give in proportion to what you have been receiving. Now look at this. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, point number 2, He's saying, whatever you have decided, whatever you have determined in your heart to give, give cheerfully. Now, this isn't just a, hey, I gave it. That's pretty cool. I like that. No, no, no. It's with great excitement. It's with a, a great expectation. Lord, I am giving. I'm giving this into, this into this ministry fund because of the ministries I see happening around me. 
I see Awanas. I see kids showing up to memorize scripture verses. I see kids showing up, and we have day child care provided. We have guys, junior high and high school ministers. We send them off to camp. We, we send them off. I've heard stories about our youth going to camp, getting saved, coming back, and they share the gospel with their friends and um, producing fruit from what you gave for them to be able to go to experience camp and to put their faith in Jesus Christ. We're already seeing fruit from those things. I'm going to give cheerfully with excitement and with great expectation on what this ministry is going to do here within these four walls, within our own lives, and outside in our own community. And I'm giving cheerfully. Now you could say that's still a challenge. That's still a challenge. Let's go to point number three. Mark 12, 41. Jesus is standing with his disciples at the temple, and they're watching the procession go through, and there's men and women just dumping money into the coffers. They just, they're given abundantly. And as they're watching, they watch one widow, one elderly woman walk forward and toss in two mites. Two mites. A mite is smaller than a penny. You can barely see it. If you take the head of the eraser on a pencil, that's about how big of a mite would be. Smaller than your pinky, the fingernail on your pinky finger. That's how big a mite was. It's all she had. It wasn't even full copper. It was made out of bronze. It was the, the least that she had in her pockets. It was the least that anybody could have in their pockets. And she said, Lord, you have been faithful to me. This temple has ministered to me. I've been here at the sacrifices. I've been forgiven of all my sins. This is all that I have to eat on. This is my next meal. This is everything I have in my possession, and I'm putting these two mites in the offering. What I'm saying today is I'm challenging you, and I'm saying if you feel like you ain't got nothing, you're as broke as broke can be, I'm going to challenge you today to grab an offering envelope in front of you, put your name on it, Put two pennies inside of it. Put two pennies inside that offering and write on that offering, widow's might. Write on that offering, widow's might, because when we receive that, we're going to keep that envelope and we're going to pray over it. We're going to pray that God works in your life and prospers your soul. And as God prospers your soul, as you have more blessings in your life, we'll, we'll watch your offerings increase in proportion to what God has given in your life. Today, I ain't got nothing, I'm broke. Grab that envelope, put your name, put two pennies, two pennies in there, and say, widow's might, and we'll be praying for you. Pastor Gabe Lopez came up to me um, in between services. Here is one youth that comes, Isaiah. Is Isaiah in the house? Isaiah comes every Sunday, every Sunday, and he has an offering. And this is his widow's might right here. You know what? That's what he's given to the Lord. That's what he's given faithfully. And I hope and pray that he's given cheerfully and with expectation of what the Lord is going to do in his life. All right, let's go on to two promises here. Two promises. Pastor calls this Philippians 4.19. He calls this God's checkbook for the poor. So you're worried about giving. You're uptight. You're a little bit stressful. You're a little bit stressed on it. You know what? Let me back up one second. In that give cheerfully, you might give with a nervous laugh. A nervous laugh would be, man, oh, this is a lot. 
this is really stretching my budget, Lord. You know, a nervous laugh is when you're at 18,000 feet and a pilot looks at you and says, put on that parachute and jump out that door. <laughs> okay. I'm going to do it because it's going to save my life. It's okay to give joyfully with a nervous laugh, but watch with expectation of what God's going to do in your life. Here's God's checkbook for the poor. Let's look at this. Um, Philippians 4:19, uh, one sentence before it. Paul has collected an offering. He's telling them they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, Pastor uses the same example. Sorry, I got to steal his material. I've been here for 20 years, so I got to use a little bit of it. He says the difference between giving from your wealth and giving according to your wealth. If you broke down here on Highway 4 and Bill Gates came up and said, hey, I'm going to have your, your car towed. I'm going to pay for the repairs. No problem. Hey, it's pretty nice. He gave from his wealth. But if Bill Gates pulled up beside you and said, hey, I'm going to send a tow truck. We're going to throw that at the, at the junkyard. You go over here to the Lexus um, showcase and pick out whatever Lexus you want. It doesn't matter. Pick out the one you like. And by the way, here's the keys to my, my small little bungalow, 10,000-square-foot mansion down in San Jose. You can have the keys. Now he's blessed you according to his wealth, right? Not just from his wealth. He's blessed you according to his wealth. God is saying, as you give, wait with expectations as the Lord will bless you according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. An awesomely incredible promise. I was preaching uh, three, two weeks ago on Rahab, Anna, and the Syrophoenician woman. They came to Christ asking. They came with faith. And I showed you the results of their faith, the great blessings. Pastor Gray preached last week, and he said, little risk, little rewards. Come to church giving with a great risk so you can watch God give you with great rewards. Let me close up with this. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to open the floodgates of heaven. Here's what, here's, let's dig into this one a little bit more. This is Malachi 3.10. Now, there's something incredibly amazing about the statement that's being made here. You got to go back to the law. Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You will not test the Lord your God. Even King Ahaz was talking with Isaiah, a great prophet, and the great prophet Isaiah said, King Ahaz, ask whatever sign you want from God. Ask whatever, and he'll provide the sign that lets you know he's with you. And King Ahaz says, I will not test the Lord our God. I won't test him. I'm going to believe your words, Isaiah. But here, look at this. Look at this incredibly amazing twist. God says, Bring the offerings into my house. Test me in this. We were just told by the law not to test the Lord. But he's saying, test me. Go ahead, prove me. I'll prove true. You put the risk on me, and I'll prove to you that I am true, and I am faithful, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He also goes on to say that he will open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing so large on your life, you will not be able to store all of it. You know the first thing that came to my mind? 
How many of you guys have used a storage unit? Okay. <laughs> How many of us have used a storage unit? We got so much blessing, we got to store it. We got to store it. Here it is. He says, I will pour out from the floodgates a blessing so great you won't even be able to contain it. Have you ever stood in front of a floodgate? Have you ever tried to hold back the flood from a floodgate? That water is pouring out so fast and so hard and so abundantly, there's nothing that can stop it. You put a tank in front of it, it'll wash a tank away. You put an aircraft carrier in front of it, it'll wash an aircraft carrier away. There's nothing that can hold it back unless the floodgates are closed. The Lord our God says, bring your offerings. Bring them. And he promises to bless you abundantly. Pastor Gabe. Good morning, Valley Bible Church. I got to say this, though, after last week's sermon, I went fishing on Saturday, me and Jaden, and I caught an eight-pound salmon, all right? So I'm no longer fishless in California. So Larry gave the what of Mission Possible, and Sean gave the how, how to start, how to give. Well, I'm here to tell you to give us the why. Why do we do any of this? Why do we do ministry? Why should we give to the ministry? Because understanding, and it's, it's all tied up in the gospel. The gospel is simply not just the, the diving board in which we jump into the pool of Christianity. It's the entire pool. And we can never, ever, ever grow deeper than the gospel. And understanding the gospel should lead us to extravagant generosity. How could it not? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, 9, he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, if we understand what Jesus gave up to save us, how could we not willingly and joyfully give up our possessions so that others might have life also? You see, Giving can get tied up real easily in just a rote something that we do. I'm just going to, I've already got my, the percentage set, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. And the spirit can be neglected, the spirit in which we give. And that's why we need to be reminded every day I get up and I preach the gospel to myself. Every day. You see, that type of spirit, that type of rote kind of mechanical giving is not what scripture teaches it's not just about a tithe Jesus didn't tithe his blood he gave it all and it's not based on law an attitude of generosity stems from a heart that has been hijacked by Jesus Christ a spirit of generosity is something that you simply can't produce by establishing a ceremonial standard it comes from realizing how much grace has been afforded to us on behalf of our Heavenly Father. So the challenge for us is to know the example of the Lord Jesus Christ as a standard for Christian giving. Above all others, Jesus Christ demonstrates not only that we are to give, but He alone is the very reason that we are to give. Paul explains to the Corinthians that Jesus' generosity toward them should be the pattern of their generosity toward others. We should think of life like Jesus did, who didn't leverage his resources and his position to serve and prosper himself, 
but to save me. To save me. So here it is. The Lord was rich. The Lord was rich. He was a son of God, possessing the very nature and being in the fullness of God. He dwelt in glory and majesty and dominion and power. He dwelt in light in which no man can approach in all the splendor and brilliance of the Godhead. He possessed every good and perfect thing, according to James. Everything. He had all the worship and adoration of the heavenly beings, yet he emptied himself. He emptied himself of those rights. Why? refers to the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that is, to his condescension or his humiliation. It refers to the great gulf he had to span in coming to the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was King of kings and Lord of lords, who was God, very God, left all the glory and worship of heaven to become a man. He, who was God, became a humble man. He, the Lord, took on flesh and blood. He, the holy God, took the place of of the lowest. He, the sovereign Lord, became the subject. He, the beloved, became the rejected. He, the perfect one, became the sacrifice for sin. He, the life, became the substitute for death. And as, as scripture so clearly, um, so aptly states, he was rich yet for our sakes. He became poor. And because he became poor, our souls prosper. We become rich. We can receive the adoptions of sons and daughters. Okay, now my dad has never been a part of my life. But my heavenly father has adopted me. And now I'm part of a family, a large family. The point is this. Since Christ willingly sacrificed so much to help us, we ought to sacrifice too, right? I mean, he's the example. And we could, never, we could never give enough. But just as Christ gave everything for us when we were in desperate need, so are we to give everything that we have to meet the needs, to meet the needs of those who are desperately lost in this world. It's not just finances. It's time. Suzette was up here just this morning saying we got needs. How can any of us, church, how can any of us who have tasted the extravagant love of Christ be not willing to love others with our resources? Doesn't his compassion toward us make us naturally disposed to help those in need? If we see someone in need, and there are children across that building who are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's junior hires in here, there's high schoolers, you, yourself, maybe even coming here as a skeptic, kind of just checking this whole church thing out. Your greatest need isn't to give. Your greatest need is Jesus Christ. And we cannot do that. We can't do that without resources. As a 14-year-old boy, I went to a little bitty old church, small church, small church that people gave to, to be in there, in that building. And I heard the gospel. And I didn't know, I didn't know it was the effectual call of God at the time, but I felt something calling me to respond. And it was the gospel. I heard the gospel. And I wouldn't be here where I'm at today if it wasn't for someone who gave to the person who gave the gospel. 
We won't love the fatherless and the widow and the shut-in and the homeless. Since we know that we were once fatherless, estranged from the father, disabled and headed for eternal separation from God. Won't we do that? Won't we, realizing the grace that has been afforded to us in the gospel, leverage our resources so that others might know him? You remember that scene in Schindler's List? when uh, the reality of how many Jews have been killed in the Holocaust sets in on Liam Neeson. And he's, all, he's emotional, he looks down, he looks at his gold watch, and he says, this watch, I didn't need this. Why couldn't I have sold this? This watch could have freed two Jews. You'll never be able to outgive God. And you know what? In all, in all honesty, we can never give enough. We can never give enough. But the attitude here, not the action, it's the attitude. I could have gave more because so much was given to me. Extravagant grace always leads to extravagant generosity. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that uh, I'm standing here because you moved in the heart of someone. You moved in the heart of someone to give as an offering plate was passed by. There are many in this room that have the like same story. God, you don't need us. You don't need our money. You own everything. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. But Father, I pray that this morning we're moved and we're reminded of of why we're supposed to give in the gospel and how we're supposed to give, how we're supposed to start and what we're giving to. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, brothers, for the word, for the word. Do they have any Bible? Um. It's generosity or greed. And um, I'm amazed at how many things are being sold to us that we don't need. How much of our money is going to things we don't need. And yet, to make Jesus known, and uh, it's, it's pitiful that uh, church life becomes so routine that we have forgotten the why. The why we just get it, get them off my back. Oh, let me tell you, keep it, because you'll get no reward if you can't do it as an act of adoration, an act of love. Keep it, keep it. Our God is not poor, but you are. You're poor to think of Him any less than deserving every the best we give is like two widow's mites. If you just emptied your bank account today, it's still just pittance compared to who you're giving it to. Huh? What can I give to such a great God? <laughs> I'm amazed he even invites us to the fellowship of it. 